Hey! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. It's been a while since we've done this. It's been a while. Anyway, on this episode, we'll hear from Mason Appleton, who just re-signed with the Winnipeg Jets, how he's spending his off-season hunting in Wisconsin. Also, we'll hear from the president of the Charleswood Hawks on this very unique Manitoba Major Junior Hockey League season. And Jeff Braun and I will hop in the replay booth to watch and review Bang the Drum Slowly. But I want to get right to our first guest. As the Winnipeg Jets on Friday announced the re-signing of RFA forward Mason Appleton to a two-year deal worth $900,000 per season. Eight goals and 18 points in 82 career NHL games. He was hurt a couple times this past season, including a shoulder injury in the bubble that he has fully recovered from, by the way. And Mason joins us now from his hometown of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And uh, before we get into hockey, Mason, I have to ask what you think of the uh, hot start to the season for your Packers. So far, so good. Uh, obviously undefeated. We got uh, you know Aaron Rodgers playing at a high level, and so it's good to see. You're talking to a Vikings fan who uh, <laughs> it's not going as well, and Sunday was really rough. The game against the Seahawks, it's nothing but sadness. So uh, you must be feeling extra good because maybe your biggest rival is having a bad year. I know. Uh, yeah, that was a tough beat. I couldn't believe that. I thought, uh, you know, after the first half, Minnie had that game locked up. But, but yeah, uh, you know, they'll come around. Obviously, they got a good run game, but it sucks to see Dalvin hurt. But, uh I uh, like how the Packer playing for sure, though. Yeah, Vikings fans knew that uh, the game is never over until the, the final horn sounds. And if you're down five to Russell Wilson and he's got the ball, it's not a good sign. Uh, before I let uh, football go, you've got a number of Minnesota teammates. I know Blake Wheeler's a big Vikings fan. Is there any kind of chirping going on during the football season? Usually, I know normally you're, you're together, but now that you're separate, is there still some trash talking going on? There's always some trash talking going on. We got some Michigan guys too that are fans. So uh, yeah, it's kind of nonstop on Sundays. We're giving it to each other, but it's all in good fun for sure. Of course. Any fantasy football action? Yeah, we got. Uh, we do a league as a team. So yeah, we got. I think twelve guys in that right now. And how are you doing? I think I've got the most points in the league, and I'm two and three, something like that. So. Yeah, that's why fantasy football is a tough thing to play. I I don't enjoy it personally because I just end up being mad all the time. But nonetheless, let's uh, let's get to hockey. You've signed a contract a few days ago to return to the Jets. Do you like how your development has gone in your first couple years as a full time NHLer? Yeah, uh, first and foremost, I was you know happy with the deal and the way we got it done, and you know the timely fashion we got it done in that we didn't have to take it to arbitration was nice and. Uh, yeah, you know, I think as an everyday NHLer, I'm going to keep obviously getting better and my role is going to grow from there. So I think it's just a day-at-a-time approach and just, you know, control what I can control and not focus on, uh, you know, other players and just do my job to the best of my ability. How was the bubble experience for you? Um, you know, it was fine. Obviously, it sucked uh, hurting my shoulder and then us, us losing in the play-in series, but uh you know, we can't put that series, or, you know, we can't take that series lightly. Obviously, the plan against Calgary was, uh, you know, a hot team, and they went on to make a little run there, but we got kind of hit with the injury bug, and you know, that was the story of our season as a whole. So, yeah, it's in the past now, a couple months behind us, and, you know, there's a lot of hockey in front of us now. 
well for you there was a couple injuries first of all the it was so it was almost it was a year ago now basically but the outdoor game in Regina where you hurt yourself just playing football before the game yeah uh fluke injury that's basically all I have to say about that one it's kind of emblematic of how the season went but uh for you now after you were eliminated are you somebody that keeps watching hockey watches the playoffs or would you rather not no, I definitely uh, was watching. Uh, you know, I like to watch any sports when it's on, but especially uh, when you play in the league, it makes it much more interesting. And, you know, I, I followed most teams during their runs, and, uh, you know, Tampa was obviously playing their best hockey when it mattered most. And uh, it was good to see, not good to see, but, uh, you know, it was time that they won a cup with the way they've been playing over the past couple of years. So, uh, yeah, hats off to them. Anything you take away from a run like that or what the Dallas Stars did that, you could apply, or is it more so just watching as a fan? Uh, no, there's a lot you can learn from that. Uh, speed that plays with, with and with is incredible. You think it's good offensively, but if you're a team, you know, four-check and track pucks and recover pucks, they're the best in the league at it. And, and you know, as average fans, people don't put the way they pucks and get back to offense as quick as they can. It's incredible, and it leads to how many goals they average the game, and uh, they were so lethal in the offensive zone because they, they worked so hard to get the puck back. We know that the NHL has set a target date of January 1st to return to play. I think we all understand that's written in pencil and not pen. So how do you treat this offseason? Are you treating it just like any other offseason? Uh, yeah, pencil and not pen is right. It's kind of been the story of the last five, six months. But uh, for me personally... You can't let it get to you, and you just got to go about your training, how you feel is necessary. So, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i hoping that start date is, is when it is, and I'm going to kind of treat it as such. You know, I've been preparing my body and, you know, skating and lifting and doing all the things that I need to do to, uh, you know, be playing uh, at my highest level at the start of training camp. What's the COVID situation in Wisconsin like? Uh, it's, you know, there's a good amount of cases, but... Uh, you know, Green Bay is not, not terrible. I mean, you just got to make smart decisions and, uh, you know, it kind of takes care of itself, but yeah, you know, I've been uh, fortunate to not have too many people around me have COVID, but, uh, yeah, it is what it is, is what it is. I reckon wherever you're doing your, your skating and training, there are special protocols in place. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I skate with a small group of guys, so. We've all been pretty cautious, and the, the rink's done a good job of managing how much floor in the building and uh, that uh, things along that line. And training, we train right at the rink too, and the, our trainer's done a good job of, you know, not having groups overlapping and uh, things like that. Other than skating and lifting, and you know, doing the normal stuff you do in an off season, normally it'd be the summer, and you'd get to enjoy nice weather. It's getting into the fall, and we all know, being in Winnipeg or being in Green Bay. The weather's not quite as nice this time of year. So what are the things will you be doing this off season? Uh starting to pick up hunting quite a bit. Uh it's something I was starting to get into before I still, you know, moved on to junior in college and pro hockey and when you're playing hockey you don't get to have that. So I'm I'm enjoying that and uh you know, chasing now my first buck and it's gonna be a fun couple of weeks of uh hunting for sure. Is that that's what's in season right now? Yeah, it's bow season right now, and then gun season's a couple weeks away. But, uh, you know, the weather's starting to change, like you just mentioned. So bucks are starting to move a little bit. But I've seen a lot of doe, but not too many bucks yet. But, uh, 
you know, hopefully we'll get one sooner than later. Is that something you did any growing up, or is that more so something you've picked up later on here? Uh, something my family's always been into, but like I said, you know, when you're when you're in high school, you're super busy, and I, you know, I hunted every now and again, and then when I left for juniors in college, there was no such thing as hunting. So yeah, it's something I'm kind of getting back into, and it's you know, it's fun to go with family and friends and have a good time. Do you have to go far out from where you are, or is it pretty close by? Uh, my dad's got some land, like uh, just an hour, just an hour north of us. So yeah, we're just heading up there. Nice. So is that kind of a, like a weekend thing? Uh, weekend or we can, you know, you can get out in an afternoon because usually when as the sun's going down, it's kind of when they they start moving and grabbing their dinner before they uh you know bed down for the night. So yeah, you can run up there. Usually I'm done with my training by around noon, so. I can get up there by three, four o'clock and sit in the woods all uh, evening. So, what's it going to take for you to get your first buck? <laughs> That's a million dollar question. No, t- no tips that you've been given to, or is it just luck? It, I mean, it's it's both. Like right now, it's the doe uh, aren't being chased as much by the buck, but bucks as but as it keeps getting colder and colder, the the bucks will start moving more. So, hopefully, it's just you know right spot, right time kind of thing. So you just got to wait them out, basically. Pretty much, pretty much. All right. Well, I appreciate your time tonight, Mason. Thanks for this. Congratulations on the contract, and uh, we'll see you when you get to Winnipeg, whenever that is. Awesome. Thanks. Good chatting. Anyway, let's talk hockey now. The Manitoba Major Junior Hockey League season begins tonight, and we are joined on the line by Charles Hawks President Tim Scherer. Tim, how are you doing tonight? I'm well. How are you? Thanks, Christian. How's the game going? Uh, we're down three nothing going into the third, but uh, a couple power play goals. We would uh, probably be down only one nothing. Okay, so what is the difference at a game this year? What kind of protocols are in place for the Manitoba Major Junior Hockey League because of the pandemic? So we're in a quite partic- uh, peculiar, uh, how would you say, spot because not only do we get um, protocols from Hockey Manitoba. Uh, some of our teams actually play out of the city rinks, so we have to follow the city of Winnipeg guidelines for protocols. So um, sometimes they're a little different, and we have to adjust to it. So that's that's probably our biggest thing is trying to adjust to different protocols within the province. And so will it vary, like you mentioned, some, some teams are in city arenas. Will it vary depending on what arena the games are in? Oh, absolutely. Um, for example, tonight we're, our home games have been moved to the ice puck, so luckily we're, we got two locker rooms for each team, but for the most part that's not the case for us at the ice Plex where um, we're allowed to come in half an hour before our game, but based on the schedule and how many teams are playing, and sometimes we, are, we only get one dressing room, and then we have eight guys dressing outside the dressing room or we have to try and juggle it. So it's very difficult for us and as, as well as many other teams in the MJHS. Oh. What, are they dressing in the hallway? No, we have to do, uh, some of our guys will do some dynamic warm-ups, some guys will get dressed, some other guys will come out, um, and then some guys will get dressed in there. No, nobody's dressing in the hallway. I shouldn't have said that, Christian. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Just that's why I'm asking for clarification. That's the follow-up yeah, question no, for. Good thing you clarified that because I got that visual picture in my head now. 
<laughs> well, I mean, anyway. So uh, the the lead up to the season, how different was the preseason process, the training camp process compared to normal? Well, it was it was big. It was um, um, we could only have so many guys on the ice. Up until we got Phase 3 from Hockey Manitoba, which was basically October 1st, we couldn't have any exhibition games, and our actual league was supposed to start October 2nd. So what that did was it made us move our our season to October 13th, and that allowed us to play our first four regular season games as exhibition games. I was wondering about that, but this is the nature of sports in the pandemic age is that you really have to be able to be flexible when it comes to scheduling, right? Well, you know what, 100%. You have to actually take one game at a time, and if you get that game, you put that in the book, and then you start planning on maybe it's a practice the next game or the next day. That's that's basically what we have in the MMJHL right now is every day can be different, and we realize that we can be shut down any day so you feel safe at the rink and you've you've heard from parents that they think the safety protocols are all good yeah one thing we have to do is for the hawks we have to make sure first our players are safe our coaching staff is safe uh and then the families that come to the rink we have to provide them with some security that when they come here it's going to be safe for them and their families so that when they leave they're not picking up COVID or they're not bringing it back home to other people. And I assume that spectators have to wear masks? Everybody has to wear a mask. Um, here in the Iceplex, we are only allowed a certain amount of um, fans in each rink. And it it's varies, right? Like we're playing at the Canadian Tire Centre tonight, which allows approximately about 100 to 200 people. Um, whereas we might play in a subway rink where it's only allowed 100 or maybe 75. So we have to adjust to that all the time. When we play at uh, St. Vitale, St. Vitale's only allowed 40 player, forty spectators. So at times we have to tell our parents that they can't come. That's the unfortunate thing. So I'm, I may have missed this, but why are your home games at Iceplex instead of Eric Coy this year? Well, because the city of Winnipeg is, is um, put into place some protocols that say that we can't arrive until 15 minutes before our scheduled ice time. So generally what that means is we have to come dressed. We're only allowed one dressing room. And um, it, it just was too hard to get into Iroquois based on some of the city of Winnipeg protocols. And I understand they had to do that, and they want to make sure the city rinks are, are safe. So, you know, we had a good discussion with the, the people of the city, and we just decided for the first half, until we can understand how COVID is and how we can play the season and maybe work more with the city, maybe the second half will come back to the Koi. But for this part, we thought, you know, the Iceplex had more, um, how do you say, uh, more things in place for us to ensure our safety and our fan safety. So in a nutshell, Koi is just too small, basically. Yeah, too crowded. Like, if we had our own dressing room, it would be completely different. Then we could allow the other team to have four, two dressing rooms. But 
the way it works is right now is we just physically we couldn't do it. But it must feel like a bit of a relief knowing that the season has begun. Yeah, you know, it really has. We started the journey in June, and we training camp opened in September, and talking to the coaches and the players, it's, are we having a season, aren't we having a season? Then talking to the league and all the teams, are we having a season, what does it look like? And it's it's finally here, and it's exciting. What are the expectations for the Hawks this season? We're hoping we're going to be finishing top five in the in the regular season. In the regular season. Yeah, and how much of the expectations are balanced with just the hopes of finishing the season? Well, that's number one. Number one is we're going to take, and I hate using cliches, but in this day and age, Christian, we really actually have to take one game at a time because we, like, we were actually last year going into the playoffs, we were the hottest team going into the playoffs. We took points out of every game in the second half, and we were ready for the playoffs. We were excited for them, and then we, sh- we got shut down. And that was the hard part. That killed us last year. So there's a bit of a sense of unfinished business too then. Yeah, a lot of that. Um, we're, this year we're playing for our vets that didn't get to finish the season this year. Well, Tim, I appreciate you stepping away from the game for a little bit here to talk with us tonight. Good luck with this. Okay, thank you, Christian. I appreciate you having us on. All right, so it's October. Uh, we're in the midst of the MLB postseason, so it's a baseball movie night in the replay booth, and we decided to dig deep and find one called Bang the Drum Slowly from 1973. Oh, beep the drum slowly and play the five lowly. And amongst some lesser-known people, I suppose, the main person of interest in this is a young Robert De Niro. Yeah, this must be the youngest Robert De Niro I think I've ever seen. Oh, 1973, um, Godfather Part Two. That was after oh, this. That was 74, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, this might be the youngest De Niro I've ever seen then, for it sure. wasn't his first role, but certainly he became quite visible not long after this because Godfather Two was, I think, like a year later. So uh, he, he is 29 when this is filmed. He could have been 19, honestly. It's, he looks so young in this. He really does, but again, that's because we're used to seeing him, you know, not really old, but... But weathered. Like, yeah, and, you know, 40-plus, I think, because probably... Mm. Well, I don't know. I guess he'd have been mid-30s when he did Raging Bull. That's 1980, so... Okay. Right away, we we meet him. He plays a a dumb catcher for the New York Mammoths, who are obviously, you know, they're the Yankees, but they just changed the name. Don't even get me started. (laughs) Well, we're gonna. Uh, so he's Bruce Pearson, and he's good friends with Henry Wiggin, who's a pitcher for the team. And it's right away obvious that something's up with Bruce Pearson. He's sick. He's dying. But they don't say what. And the whole basically movie is premised around the team can't know that he's dying because then they'll cut him. I think is the whole point of the movie. Yeah, except later on when they do find out, nothing really happens except yeah. that they bring in a a catching coach. I think the guy's just. One extra layer of backup just in case or something, but it doesn't have any sort of real detrimental effect that you might have thought. And that, of course, is uh, due in part to the the 
this clause in the Wiggins contract that uh, staples him and the catcher together. Yeah, he's holding out for more money, and he won't take a pay cut all of a sudden unless they agree to keep Bruce around. And the manager eventually argues and argues and says, okay, fine. And, you know, they use words like, you know, what are you, fairies? And it's like, okay, this is 1973, but that's... The two main male protagonists are referred to as lovers no fewer than ten times in this movie. Yeah, and honestly, though, I mean, all things considered that it's a sports movie from that long ago, it's not nearly as problematic as I would have thought. Sure, yeah. So, the honestly, I was kind of confused for a lot of this movie, and it's not a long movie. I think the credits roll at 97 minutes. But the whole time that they're trying to hide it from the manager, and there's this story about where were you during the summer? Why were you up in Minnesota with Bruce Pearson, Henry Wiggins? And his nickname is Arthur because he wrote a book, but also I think Bruce calls him Arthur because his accent is is like that because he's from Georgia. Does it, whatever. Oh, is that what it was? Because yeah. I watch it with subtitles, and it said Arthur for everyone. Oh. So I didn't catch that they called him Arthur because they were writing a book. I just thought everyone yeah. called him Arthur, and they never explained it. Yeah. But it's just a dumb guy thing on uh, De Niro's character. Basically, that's, yeah. That's better than what the subtitles told me. <laughs> the whole time, they're they're changing their stories around. Oh, we were up hunting, or we were meeting women somewhere. And I'm thinking, what's the point of all this? You're probably going to think I'm some kind of heel and all that. But there's this airline stewardess. Her name being what? Mary. Mary what? Smith, Jones, Brown? Mary Pistolaglione. Go on. Why are you trying to hide the fact that he's dying? And also, what is he dying of? I want to know. They don't ever mention it until about two-thirds <laughs> of the way through when they said it's it's named after Hodgkin's. So it's like, oh, he's got Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's got blood cancer. I get it now. But why are you... It was unclear why they had to hide all that. Just uh, dramatic tension. It's good movie making. And in the meantime, there's the fact of the matter and i barely paid attention to this part but the season that the mammoths have and it's oh we sucked for a while and bruce was actually starting to play better because he was dying and he just was better and then we all hated each other though and then once everyone it cut out that bruce was dying they galvanized together and they won the world series but bruce wasn't a part of that he got really sick right near the end of the season he was out of it during a game that was his last game he goes home they never see him again they win the world series and then we end with henry visiting his or leaving the funeral presumably in georgia yeah. where he was a pallbearer but no one else from the team now, came the way you spelled out that whole plot makes it sound better than it really comes across cuz they don't do a really good job of showing the team the players at odds with each other like there's there's no big brawls or fights or there's anything just a couple like that. They, they, the ribbing they just make fun of each other a little bit. Yeah, but I mean that's <laughs> that's uh, guys are going to do that anyways, right? Yeah. And again, like I said, like they don't even well, I, mean, I guess because it's a PG movie or whatever, but they don't even like swear at each other or anything. So that that was a little lacking in that department because otherwise, I think that's a like that's a pretty good premise for a, a story, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, they just they didn't really pull it off, and I didn't really. Is like at the end, I was like, "Oh, I get what they were going for there." But yeah, it, for me, the most fun of it, and it was the most useless part, was the manager trying to trying to get to the bottom of what he knows is the lies everyone is telling him. The, the manager guy, his name was Dutch, just cracked me up because he was he was smart but also kind of dumb, and he talked like a he talked like a dumb guy and kept mixing his metaphors and stuff mm. like that, and he was just. Like, mad for no reason and all the time. And these weird now. locker room motivational speeches. Go ahead, you Baltimore fly. 
Buzz me one more time and I will snatch you out of the air and you will buzz me no more. Es como una mosca volando, ¿sabes? Alrededor de tu cabeza. Diego. Diego. Forget it, huh? This isn't so much for George anyhow as uh, certain other people who can't control their feelings towards their teammates. Pearson gets to stay in the bigs ahead of this hotshot kid who comes in on a motorcycle and a guitar. And then he gets called up later. And he plays the song that includes the lyric, bang the drum slowly, and it's really on the nose. And earlier in the movie, I was like, ah, hope someone drops dead so I can get a spot. And it's like, oh, that's obvious foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, about a, like a minute before he starts playing that song, I was thinking to myself, I was like, why is this movie called Bang the Drum Slowly? <laughs> and there it was. Sure enough, he rolls out that song. It's a nice song. And yeah, it was very on the nose. Another one of the lies that was told was that he was visiting the Mayo Clinic because he got the clap and not because he had blood cancer. And then so a doctor, you know, drops trow on De Niro and's like, oh, it's all good down there. And I'm just thinking, why In don't In front you... of half a dozen yeah. other people, too. Yeah, and his dad comes to visit once and gets to sit in the dugout during the game, which was not how that works. And we, yeah, I wrote down at what point in the movie we found out it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was at the seventy-minute mark that we found out. Wow, what it was. Yeah, and that's... Arthur's last game, like the kind of pivotal moment that they clinch, I guess, the division is uh, you know Bruce is at the plate or Bruce is behind the plate, and Arthur throws a complete game uh i guess it wasn't a shutout but a complete game a strong performance and then that was kind of it the mammoths they're obviously the yankees they've got the pinstripes they i think they literally used the uniforms of the yankees and they just like changed the logo a tiny bit they made the letters a little bit different yeah yeah and they dropped the y down like Mm -hmm. three spots or something like that it's just it's kind of off-centered or something like it's not a perfectly but they used the um, red Sox in there and they use the pirates it's like what why don't you just and use the cincinnati the reds yeah just and use the, the reds yankees. too and the reds and, and pirates by the way are not in the same league as the yankees and in 1973 they would have never played no. until the world series but anyway and at first they thought oh they because they showed a pirates uniform where it said pirates and i was like okay that's just like a blunder but they won't say it but then they did say it and then they showed the scoreboard and the scoreboard said pirates and i was like well if they can go all in on pirates why can't they go all in on Yankees. And and then I was like, oh, maybe it's, you know, sometimes it's like with the uh, the football movie, the Oliver Stone one, Any Given Sunday, they had to make up all different football teams because, but that movie's got all sorts of drugs and right. sex and everything else. And then this movie didn't have anything like that. It had a loaded gun that was, that only went off yeah. once on purpose. It's to completely shot a light bulb. fictional. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's fictional. It's very tame, all things considered. And so, yeah, I was just like, but well, major why league it a- is MLB, right? And it came out yeah. later than this, and it was wild, and it used all the real team names. Uh, we'd have to maybe go back at some older baseball movies. Maybe it was just a policy by Major League Baseball at the time just to not get involved with anything. But then again, you used to have the Pittsburgh Pirates problem. Well, well just, so it just doesn't make any sense. And you saw the right at the start of the credits. It starts, we gratefully acknowledge the cooperation of the Yankees, Mets, Pirates, Red Sox, Cleveland, Phillies, and MLB Promotion Corporation. They shot this mostly at Yankee and Shea Stadiums, which is where the MLB teams played. Is it a question of... uh, The Yankees didn't want their name being Steinbrenner? Steinbrenner, that's what I was going to say. Does he just say no, no dice? When Steinbrenner says no, don't you just wait like three days and ask him again and maybe he'll change his mind because that guy seemed to be pretty flaky about a lot of things. Actually, he bought them the year this came out. So he wasn't even the owner when this went into production. 
So there goes that theory. Anyway, so uh, yeah, it's it's only 96 minutes. It's based on a a novel that was written in 1956, also dramatized in 56 uh, in a one-hour TV special. Paul Newman was the star of that um, film, I guess you could call it. It, it, the, The book was also called Bang the Drum Slowly. Most of the ballpark shots, as I mentioned, were Shea and Yankee Stadiums. Tagwar, this card game yeah. they play that's this, that it's was... pointless side plot where they just hu- use the major league players to hustle people that are just in the hotel it's, yeah, it's like for the exciting just... game without any rules and they just like sucker dudes out of their dollar yeah. bills hey, what's the name of this game 15 plus 15 is 32 30 oh that's right that's a double honeybees i'm not sure if i'm too clear on some of these new rules what the rules there hasn't been any new rules since the Black Sox scandal in 1919. Big League Tag Wars, Big League Tag War, known to every big-time ball player from Boston to California. So if you're just hanging out in the lobby of a hotel and you see, like, baseball players that you've heard of playing cards... You want in. They invite you to join them, yeah. And you lose a couple hundred bucks and <laughs> go about your day and they laugh, have a good laugh at your expense. That, that cracked me up. I enjoyed that a lot. I wonder if that's a real thing. Do you think is that based on something real? Do you know? I couldn't find anything on that, but it's yeah, they're just shills. That sounds, that's sounds like a realistic hustle that yeah, ball players would do on the road, kind of because they're bored. Yeah, um, you can make a couple of and the, you know those guys weren't making millions of dollars back then either, right? So that's true. So Pacino was supposed to be in this Al Pacino. So Al Pacino was going to be, I believe, the part of the pitcher, Paulie in The Godfather was going to be played by Robert De Niro. But for Pacino to be Michael Corleone, they had to give up De Niro for Bang the Drum Slowly. So it was wow. like a, a trade, basically, because he had already been into a contract for Bang the Drum Slowly. So to get out of that, Bang the Drum Slowly got De Niro. And then De Niro was in Godfather 2 as a completely different character, I guess. So Pacino wins that because Godfather makes his career. Uh-huh. And then I guess, you know, it didn't and I guess... It doesn't hurt De Niro too bad because he gets in Godfather 2 and wins an Oscar for it. So, And this movie did not do all that well at the box office. From what I could find, there was a million-dollar budget, and it made $354,000. So yeah, it was great. not great. And, yeah, I think Pacino ended up – that was the right call. I guess Francis Ford Coppola had to make that trade. And a good that's a good general manager move right there. Small the trade, bud. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, the one other thing besides the Tagore and the manager that I really liked about this movie was just the story of their friendship, which mm. I thought was, that was, especially at the end, I was like, oh, that's very touching. I kind of got choked up there. And the pitcher played by Michael Moriarty, he, I thought he was really good in it. And it was just, uh, just that was a very sweet story that I found effective. He was also an insurance salesman. And this woman was trying to basically be taking advantage of Bruce's dying love and get the money from his death be the beneficiary and henry's like yeah i'll change it yeah 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 and never does because he knows exactly what's going on that lady i swear to god she pulled the same thing on mr furley in uh three's company she's she's a recurring character in three's company that was the temptress take advantage of mr furley yep okay uh you will not be surprised to learn that christian's never seen three's company yeah, well, you're missing out. It's a good, and with Three's Company, you really only have to watch like three episodes, and then you've seen all the episodes because <laughs> they did the same thing week in, week out. It was just comic misunderstandings. Anyway, your th- final thoughts on this one? Um, I was surprised there wasn't more baseball in it. I, I went in totally blind. I had no idea 
what it was about. And all I knew was a baseball movie and De Niro was in it. And it sort of, you know, raised a little flag in my head. It's like, how come I've not seen this or how come I've never heard of this? No one ever talks about it. But the box office, I guess, like you mentioned, is wise because so many people have never seen it. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's early De Niro. So it's, he doesn't, he's good in it, but it's not like, it's not his one, movie. It's not like, no, it's not like top 10 De Niro role or anything like that. No. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. It was just pleasant and it's an easy breezy kind of a watch. And uh, overall, like I said, the, the tag war I enjoyed, the performance from the manager I enjoyed, and I like the story about friendship. So I will give Bang the Drum slowly seven and a half hands of tag war out of 10. So I forgot to mention that they used some actual real MLB baseball clips uh, during some of like the the reels, right? The the wide shots. Yeah, they they use some actual baseball footage for that, and I just was lost for a lot of this movie. And I know, I guess it was it was more simple than I was trying to figure it out to be. And the fact that it was only ninety seven minutes helps this, but I just found it was kind of rudderless for a lot of it. And I you you make a good point about their friendship, but ultimately, I didn't think this was all that good. And uh, also, I think of Rob, the first time I saw De Niro in, in the start of the film, I thought that kind of looks like Austin Sergusa a little bit, if you looked the right way at him. <laughs> but could be, I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm going to give this, and I'm to explain for those who haven't seen it why I'm going to give it this. There was this weird interlude called the Singing Mammoths, where like five or six of them were singing some song on you know like the local cable channel or whatever. <laughs> And so I'm going to give it six and a half singing mammoths out of ten. <laughs> Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mel. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?